0: I've been trying to work out a realistic application for turn the other cheek. Ever since a mentor pointed out to me that by teaching this to kids was a license for them to get beaten up at school. As you've just heard in the kids talk, there is no way I'm going to encourage a child to get beaten up on the premise that that's what Jesus wants from them. As we look at this passage, it is good to remember that the Bible is a record of how God communicated and dealt with human civilization as it developed. It is also important that we, can, that we can't take out verses written to a culture 2,000 or 4,000 years ago and seek to enforce it on all people today. That would almost be bordering on an abuse of the Bible. As such, I don't think all the Bible is written to be directly applied to children but more to understanding adults who will then appropriately filter these truths down to their children in a culturally appropriate way. It is also good to remember that the Bible records the progression of God's self-revelation as human history advances Genesis records several uh, positive commands and one prohibition. It's not till much later that a detailed legal system is presented through Moses to the people of God. The concept for an eye for an eye is detailed, not so much to encourage vindictiveness, but to control excessive vendettas and to establish fair justice. 2,000 years after the concept for an eye for an eye is well and truly established Jesus appears with the next breakthrough. Not just fair justice but a mind boggling forgiveness where victims willingly go second mile on behalf of the antagonist. Personally I think the, Bible, the biblical development can be played out in the development of children as well. Initially, a basic invitation to explore and develop with minimal boundaries and, and, a, and a more complex system, sorry, as they get older, a more complex system of fairness, consequences, punishment can be introduced. Once the concept of fairness and justice has been established, then would be a good time, I've written here maybe in adolescence, but in my case maybe just after they turned 60, to challenge them with the concept of turn the other cheek. Which brings us to the issue for us adults, the intended audience to whom Jesus addresses these concepts. Did Jesus really expect us to live by this principle in all seriousness Or is it meant to be one of those nice religious sayings that people like to quote, but of course no one actually expects to apply? It's not that it's impossible to live by turning the other cheek or walking the second mile. It's just that it's not possible to maintain the quality of life we are used to while living this way if we allow every person who wronged us or cheated us or attacked us to get away with it, we would rapidly throw away our quality of life, not to mention encouraging gross wrongdoing. But consider the fact that living in this manner is possible, to go the next step and make it a requirement for all Christians to insist on perfection and become legalistic About its application is to do exactly what Jesus, sorry, exactly the opposite to what Jesus intended. His message constantly highlighted the moral bankruptcy of the legalistic righteousness of the religious leaders. They kept kept external religious requirements down to the letter, but completely missed the relational care that the rules were introduced for. This is what Jesus means when he says that our righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. Further, when Christians tend to get legalistic demand get legalistic demands on each other to turn the other cheek, the Church is certain to head for hurt or even abuse. Now, if we think all the possible applications for this, divorce, bad business deals, shoddy workmanship, neighbourhood disputes, defamation, discrimination, the list could go on. Society as we know it could not function. We would be encouraging malpractice. We would be encouraging abuse all the things we value and cherish as a society would be trampled in a one-way dash for power and greed. This is not workable in a social ethic. So does that mean for all and purposes that we chuck, we chuck out this and other difficult-to-apply statements on the scrap heap of irrelevance? Where do we draw the line between relevance and irrelevance? What is left to challenge and change us? Is faith then simply worship, fellowship and going out to yak? As Jesus says so simply, if we love those who love us back, what's the point of religion? Even the criminals do that. So how do we deal with this message? I think there are two clear intentions. The first is it's an insight into the heart of God. Firstly, and foremostly, these messages reveal to us the character of God. These are not idealistic commands. He expects his creatures to keep. This is very much the way he himself behaves with his creation that continually dishonours him. He turns the other cheek, blesses when ignored and cursed and even pays the price of death for religious rebellion. By virtue of who he is, we see mirrored the true picture of who we are. Simply in the face of God's character we see a definition of good that makes our best and most honourable deeds look very ordinary. I often hear people argue the case for good people but the question must always be asked according to whose definition of good. People will say I don't murder but as we heard last week God's definition of anger in the heart is good enough to qualify as murder in his sight. The second thing we see is an invitation to relate to God. It's quite interesting how the alternative behaviour of one person can often make others in a group feel uneasy. For example, if you're out for a drink with friends and one person doesn't drink on the basis of principle. It can make everybody feel a little bit uncomfortable. As a result, in the long term, we tend to hang out with people who share our values, our lifestyles, because it's comfortable to move with those who have an... Sorry, it's more comfortable than to move with those who have an alternative value set. On the other hand, as we get closer to groups of people or as we grow deeper in, say, our marriages, we certainly begin to share those other person's perspectives and we begin to change our attitudes and behaviour as well. We give up little bits of our treasured self and take on bits of who they are. As we grow in relationship with God, it is no different and we find that our values and attitudes also begin to mirror His. If they don't, it might just mean that we aren't seeing him or meeting him often enough. So as we look at this Sermon on the Mount, it is an invitation to taste and to see this God, to join his club, to deepen his kind of life skills. When the rich young ruler approached Jesus, believing he could offer him eternal life, to his dismay, he found that his current achievements were undervalued and that he would have to give up his life investments in order to receive what he came looking for. And he chose to walk away. The opposite to that is Zac- Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus found himself unexpectedly hosting Jesus for dinner and enjoying the inexperience so much that he rightened every wrong transaction. He, he got rid of all his ill-gotten gain in order to experience this new relationship. Sounds good in Bible story, but to give up what you've spent your life working for is never going to be easy. Yet, if we aren't willing to, we won't be able to get to know Jesus better. So whether it be turn the other cheek or walk the second mile, seems impossible to apply it to all of life at once. But to trial it in parts of our life, to live these radical values, opens a whole new relationship with God that is both scary and exciting. If we aren't constantly facing the tension of making our lives more like the Father's, who's perfect, Maybe it's been a while since we've allowed ourselves to see him as he really is. Amen.